smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast anand i know you have to run so you know one quick figure from you before you go and i hope we get to chat later post the budget but what is it that you think the market and economy watchers would be watching for on that expenditure jump uh, anything above 17 to 18% would look like a fair jump including what you want to see on capital expenditure well mitali um, as i think vivek was mentioning all range is possible um yeah. frankly i think um, the government should probably go with a nominal gdp growth of about 14% or so um there are a lot of economists who say it will be higher than that but it's a good conservative number to go with and uh, more than actually the actual increase in in uh, in, in expenditure numbers i think uh, the quality of expenditure is what is important also mitan um yeah. I'm, i'm hoping that they show a reduction in the or at least a deceleration in the growth of revenue expenditure and a decisive shift towards uh, productive investments uh, by that i mean shift into infrastructure shifts into education and healthcare that dr karate mentioned um and a shift towards trying to get the banking system up and running uh, look the, one of the issues that we will have mitali is uh, shown of the accounting smoke screens we will probably end with an incredibly high close to 7% of gdp of revenue deficit for this pandemic year of course it's pandemic hits we can't blame the government for that but you know if they can show a, a road map towards bringing that down to close to zero over the next 7 years give yourself time because you can't do it overnight um and if you back that up with credible numbers that you know people like all of us can, can look at and say okay this is credible uh, that will give a lot of comfort that the, the expenditure is shifting towards the right part uh, the reason i make this point mitali is um, look a, a lot of us are talking about the need to pump prime the economy and to and to get consumption and demand again Uh, I think consumption and demand will come through. There is money in the system. Look at the growth in money supply. It is a K-shaped recovery. There are parts of the economy, including the rural side and the urban rich, who are doing well. Who've got money to spend. But, and plus, accompanied with government spending, I think demand will come through. The part that's missing, Mitali, is do we have domestic output matching it? You know, 2009, 2013, we did manage to get up domestic demand. You know, everything, consumption, government spending, and investment, all. we're firing on on all cylinders but where we kind of missed up was we we did not have domestic production catch catch up with that so you had inflation and imports coming instead of real growth and that's what we need to avoid going forward get in domestic jobs and domestic output rather than just worrying about the demand side so i'm hoping for a pivot from revenue expenditure towards capital spending which will hopefully hold us in good stead with with uh, getting the domestic uh, output up um but the budget alone will not suffice with we we all know that the real economy in terms of what's happening on getting supply chains from china getting domestic manufacturing up which will take time that's going to be the key towards getting domestic output and employment up Absolutely, Anant, and one hopes that come one thirty or two o'clock, whenever the budget end is, ends, uh, there is much to cheer. Uh, Professor Imanshu, I just want to pick up on one one sort of facet of this recovery that we've been talking about. I read an interesting report today by DK of Crystal, where he pointed out that it's not so much what's happened in terms of the recovery or how much we will recover as a percentage. It's also important to realize that there is a certain percentage of the GDP that has been permanently damaged. Uh, would you? 
concur with that what do you think the extent of that damage is and do you think at this point something can be done to ameliorate that kind of uh, that kind of head on collision with you know permanent damage for a country's gdp i think that's a uh, that's a very valid point and i think uh, then it's very difficult to put a number to that but roughly I mean, there have been uh, several estimates uh, roughly around 10% of what yeah. we use i mean we are talking about something like say going up to 200 2023-24 or 24-25 up to that period of time, and that's something. Some of it is expected. I mean, the kind of a declining uh, output of uh, GDP that we have seen in this particular year. So even a recovery that we are talking about, that recovery has to factor in those ones, and including the slowdown that we had happened. So I think those are issues on which I don't think much can be done, and and the estimate of 10% doesn't look very much off the mark in that sense. But I think uh, what the government will have to think about is to simply move beyond. this temporary phase of this one year the pandemic looking at it and i think the only way you can recover the gdp loss is by going to a higher rate of per growth in the coming years and that will require not just thinking about the recovery in this year but recovering for the not just for this year but for the next year and next to next year i think and that will require a long term strategy and i think it is in that context i think this particular year gives you an opportunity i mean honestly nobody is going to talk about your fiscal deficit numbers last I mean, ever since the FRBM has been passed, I mean, we have not yet matched those numbers. I mean, every year there is a clause that says that okay, we are not meeting the FRBM number. So there is no beating the bush around and saying that look, we are going to reach that. I mean, we will never reach that. We are not going to uh, go up to that number. But this is here is is here when it gives you an opportunity to go beyond those numbers. Nobody is asking you because the entire world has. is going to breach those numbers so do that kind of a thing and i think the point that anand was talking about that we have to look at the, not the quantity numbers but actually the quality of expenditure quality how are we managing the revenues how where are we generating the revenues where we are spending what kind of a multiplier impact that kind of a spending spending have and again those numbers are there and that's something which is there but it has to be a program which is not restricted to this particular year but has to be restricted to I mean has to be slightly longer term at least for 3 to 4 years if you are trying to recover the lost gdp i mean otherwise i mean you you are simply playing with numbers and i think the prime minister said the mini budgets these mini budgets have now become almost like a norm i mean we, we don't stick to those the budgets what we promise to spend i mean by the second or third month itself we start revising those numbers so i don't think we should be bothered too much about those numbers but rather in terms of ideas as to where you are going four year down the line five year down the line is what we should be thinking about and that is something that a budget could do i mean a lot of governance issues are not part of the budget and i think all important issues about banking reform ibc and all those issues are very very pertinent in terms of ramping up uh, uh, domestic rate supply and manufacturing but these are not part of the uh, so much of it that can be done at later stage and there are continuous process that is happening I mean, courts have sure. been and those things are there but i think a direction is what is missing and this is something which is very much clear in the last two to three budgets that have been presented by this government Sure, uh, Professor Reddy, I want to sort of step away from the budget discussion for a bit because I know for us economy wallas it's a big deal, but I think what's top of mind for people right now is really something else. It's what's happening with the vaccines. Is the vaccine rollout fast enough? How are we dealing with vaccine hesitancy? Uh, do you feel that this is something that should be sort of incorporated into a conversation now what is the government's plan to take on vaccine hesitancy which seems quite high across most states are we doing enough to ensure that the rollout is happening as speedily as possible are we opening up channels for private access to vaccinations for those who have the you know monetary ability to get themselves vaccinated do you think this should be the platform to discuss it and and you know i i'm 
keen to know what your own thoughts are on all those issues. Well, I think the vaccine hesitancy element is now declining a bit. And we are seeing, of course, the priority being accorded to people who are essential workers and starting the health workforce. Then it will go to the other elements of the essential work workers as defined uh, by way of uh, security services, municipal services, as well as the travel sector, uh, the transport uh, people. But also we are uh, going to be following it up with the vulnerability element where people who have comorbidities or age-related uh, vulnerability are going to be prioritized. And uh, compared to the rollout in many other countries, especially we are seeing chaotic conditions in Europe and United States, I think our rollout is going on fairly well. Yes, vaccine hesitancy is an important factor, but that is partly because the threat perception has decreased. If it was in September that the vaccines had arrived, everybody would have clamored for it and rushed for it. Now it appears that many people feel that the worst is over and therefore they're hesitating or waiting to see what happens to the others who take it or waiting for newer vaccines to arrive. But nevertheless, I think as experience builds up, confidence too will build up and we are going to see more people being immunized. And that certainly has to be an important priority and uh, both the center and the states will have to together act both in order to enhance the efficiency of delivery even better than what is being done now particularly when it opens up to the general public and then also to ensure that the vaccine confidence is certainly boosted coming to the question of whether it's good should be released into the private market i do not think it's the time at all unless these sections who have been predefined on ground of essentiality and vulnerability are actually provided the vaccines with whatever stocks are available i think entry into the private market is going to result in queue jumping and that is not an appropriate behavior. So I think we ought to follow the rules and then ensure that whatever the priorities set by the government should be followed. And then if more vaccines also enter by, um, by June or so, uh, after getting the regulatory approval, and there are very, very many which are going to be in the queue, then it's possible that our situation in terms of stocks and availability is going to be much more, and the choice of vaccines also will be higher and I believe it's the time when we can really look at whether we can open up much more into the private market, not just to uh, cater to the sense of urgency of those who feel privileged to access because they have the cash to buy. No, absolutely. And I think for the two that are available at this point, they still have some clearances left. Covishield does before it gets to the private market and Covaxin, of course, is still negotiating phase three. Uh, Nina, I wanted to go back to the previous point you were making about the banking space with specific reference to what's happening in the MSME sector. You know, I mean, a lot of that pain is not even known, frankly. Uh, can the budget be the appropriate uh, mechanism to address their pain? Or do you think that's a much longer drawn out process and something we need to address on a day? day-to-day -day basis, what's happened with the MSME space and what their needs are at this point? There's certainly an expectation that uh, announcements that support and help the MSME sector get made. I think recognizing uh, that and giving the MSMEs comfort that the government is there for them and to be fair to the government, even the last budget did uh, uh, hold out promise and uh, there were uh, different uh, schemes that were set out for MSMEs, both in terms of debt, access to debt and uh, also uh, equity, uh, the mudra plan, etc. 
So, and by MSMEs, we cover a very wide sector. It can be everything from that rural entrepreneur to companies which are mid-sized and indeed uh, suffering. And some of that suffering has happened not just because of COVID, it's also happened because their supply chains got disrupted because of China, uh, that we have had issues therefore around exports. So we have many fronts which we can tackle to bring the MSMEs back to market. I would say export and export thrust would be a very important one. It is something where right now there's a lot of money owed to companies by government through various credit set-offs, et cetera, which are stuck. Uh, so government has to hold out its promise of funds which it had committed to and have not released. Uh, of course, the, the medium-term ones are about easing the process. Uh, supply chain disruptions have to be addressed uh, because it's all very well having a foreign policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis China, but we have to look at the pain points and do this all gradually in terms of execution on the ground. So many areas, which some within budget, some without, but I think the budget must make important statements on support and continuing support for the MSMEs who are not out of pain and trouble at all. And you see it in terms of stress already in the banking sector, and this will come back to haunt us in terms of NPAs if we don't fix it now. And we have been down that very dark road uh, just a few years back. Um, Radhika, you know, I want to touch upon the equity market specifically in terms of the fact that there were some murmurs around whether a wealth tax would be introduced or whether there would be some tweaking on LTCG or STT. Do you think that could happen? And, you know, conversely, if there is some relief given at the bottom of, of, of the tax base, do you think that could do something to encourage further investment or looking at equity markets afresh? Capital you need markets. To yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I think there are two parts to this. One is capital gains tax and equity capital gains tax. 10% uh, was already introduced and it's been only a couple of years since that's happened. The market has had a demand for STT going away. They've also had a demand which I think is very reasonable about the taxation on dividend income because corporate India is paying tax then you're paying tax on dividends and that becomes very, very inefficient. If that were to go away, that would be a fantastic outcome. I don't see a case for the removal of 10% LTCG. I think India is actually very competitive on taxation. So that is not something that scares the market. I think this notion of the wealth tax, there was also something, Mithali, that came out about an additional slab of 35% above a certain amount of income. And I think one thing that's consistently come in the budget is that the salaried class is over carrying the burden of taxation. I mean, we live in a country where a large part of the population, especially business owners, don't pay the kind of tax. And every year, you keep increasing the burden on the salaried class. So I don't think the market would look at that very, very popular. Uh, no, well, I think you need to find ways to broaden the tax net rather than taking the same group of people and burdening them uh, every year. And the third is that if you were to do something for the lower end of the economy and directly give them a way to increase consumption, I think that would be looked on very well. But it can't be another tax on the rich. Hmm. What about the fixed income side of things, Radhika? Uh, the gross market borrowing last year was a pretty large figure. Uh, you know, is the bond market a bit nervous about what she announces in terms of a borrowing figure? <clears throat> 
I think the bond market is kind of expecting a large borrowing figure. I think the bond market also, really, if you talk to most bond professionals today, they also realize the need for growth uh, and that borrowing will be a part of the plan. So I don't think the bond market will be very nervous. I think for the bond market, if she has a medium term plan uh, on how to address the deficit, um, and she doesn't. One of the things that spooked me a little bit in the economic survey was this whole thing of dismissing ratings, etc., and saying credit ratings are not important, etc. I think that kind of statement will spook the bond market because ultimately India is competitive and raises foreign capital. So you have to be wise. I mean, your ratings, etc., that whole ecosystem affects your ability to raise capital. So I think the bond market will be forgiving for a year if there's a sensible medium term outlook. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're talking about things like global bond listings, that is not uh, the best way to go about it. You know, Vivek, I want to pick up on the point that Nena was making about a thrust towards export. Unfortunately, though, and this has happened for a couple of budgets now, the approach seems to be uh, slapping on higher import duties, uh, import substitution, essentially. Do you think that might be something the budget does again? Uh, pushed over the last uh, couple of years, uh, the Atmanirvarta narrative. I mean, I would find it surprising if they go back on it. Uh, now, whether I mean, uh, past experience has shown us very, very clearly that uh, import substitution has not worked for us. And and the, the, the irony is that along with import substitution, we are also talking about uh, export uh, competence. Now, how do you compete uh, in the export market if, uh, you know, uh, you do not compete in your dom domestic market. Now, this is a very, very uh, simple point which has been made by uh, economists over the last many, many decades. Uh, but then, you, you know, uh, uh, at at the uh, you know, with the due apologies to Mr. Manmohan Singh, uh, nobody can stop a bad idea whose time has come. Uh, so this bad idea will, uh, and we have quite a few bad ideas going around right now, uh, which including uh, uh, the idea of a bad bank. Uh, the idea of DFIs. I mean, these are all bad ideas which uh, seem to be making a comeback. Uh, I would also like to make one uh, point, uh, you know, around what Nana Ma'am was saying about recapitalization of banks. Uh, you know, recapitalization of banks uh, has been happening. It's not like recapitalization of banks has stopped. Uh, but the funny thing is that uh, in the last three years, in the last two to three years, it has been more of an accounting jugglery. Wherein what happens is that the government issues uh, recapitalization bonds and uh, the banks uh, per se use their deposits to buy these recapitalization bonds. And then the government takes that money and invests it uh, in, in the banks as capital. So it's essentially, you know, money being moved from one side of the balance sheet to another side of the balance sheet. So what this does is that uh, it does not, uh, you know, end up as an expenditure in the uh, in the accounts of the government because uh, you know there's no money the government is not spending any of uh, the tax money or the disinvestment money that it has earned so this has been happening for quite a few years and uh, what you're essentially doing is you're kicking the problem uh, you know uh, down uh, the lane and in the years to come when these bonds mature uh, money will have to be repaid uh, so I think this is again another uh, you know non-transparent thing which has happened over and over again and uh, needs to be uh, stopped uh, regarding the land point, uh, you know, I've been talking about it for the last uh, two to three years uh, that the government needs to sell a lot of its land. And, you know, this idea basically came to me uh, from, you know, I stay I stay in central Mumbai and uh, in one of the bylanes in Wadli, there is this company called the Bicycle Corporation of India. And mm -hmm. I've been walking past it uh, for the last 15, 16 years. Uh, it remains shut. 
it is i don't know how big the property is but maybe probably a few acres a few acres in uh, i mean and i'm not a real estate expert but few ex- uh, acres in worli would yield you at least a few hundred crores and uh, i'm sure there is uh, so much of this land lying uh, all across uh, the country and the other thing this will do uh, which is uh, even more interesting is the fact that uh, it will uh, sort of bring down land prices in in in, in cities and if that happens uh, you know real estate can get a little more uh, affordable in our cities which can then create jobs and so on and so forth now uh, i mean obviously this is all uh, in theory uh, i mean i don't see it happening uh but uh, real estate remains uh, a very very uh, you know one thing that we can learn from china is that real estate uh remains a very good way to create growth even though they have overdone it uh, but we haven't done it at all so yeah. 20 years for air india vivek 16 years for bicycle corporation <laughs> no matter what mode of transport this is taking a long time is it not uh nena you know i want your thoughts on both those things the dfi bill which apparently will be different from idbi and from the private side infs and you know all the other infrastructure related funds and then there's the bad bank what are your thoughts on both those institutions required uh, you know pertinent at this point so coming to the bad bank uh, the uh, what it seeks to resolve and i think it is a solution uh, so uh not easy if it is a bad bank in the public sector so it needs to be maybe set up much more the way uh, we had the na- the national infrastructure fund set up where there's a mix of bank and other institutions that come in but the what it seeks to resolve is very critical and that is try to do resolution with leaving it to lead banks which are typically the public sector banks even an efficient bank like the state bank of india is not a solution uh bankers find it very hard to be part of a resolution process and agree to write off debt which impacts the organizations that they work with and the fear of uh, various enforcement uh, institutions coming at them 10 years after they retired will no matter what promise we hold out uh it is not in their dna to do this so we have to create a way in which these assets can be resolved in a timely way and no can we wait as i indicated for 440 days to resolve each issue so every patient that is on the operating table dies when it should actually be resuscitated what we need is mechanisms that enable quicker resolution and they exist around the world whether you call them arcs or uh, aifs or enable inmates i mean whichever alphabet you want to use it exists in terms of mechanisms that are available tried and tested globally uh, which we need to be able to address and ensure goes forward look how long it's taken us to get an invite into this market and these mechanisms have existed for years globally and we've just seen the first of our invites actually coming in let's move faster on some of this financial uh, institutionalization which enables settlement of debt uh the bad bank is an idea uh, i would rather call it an asset management institution into which these assets which need resolution can go and then have experts there that are resolving it in every one of the points that our panelists have made mr call is right in saying assets the reason they are stuck is the people who are trying to release those assets have very little incentive to put their signature to any document which enables it so let's put it somewhere where 
those that get into this asset management structure, which then helps with these resolutions, has both the expertise, the ability and the authority to resolve and put those assets out to sale. Very true. About seven minutes to go before we uh, hopefully hear from the finance minister. Expected to rise at 11 a.m. Markets are pretty buoyant at this point. 1% rally on the frontline indices. The banks are actually looking very, very buoyant, up almost 2% on the Nifty Bank X. So maybe there's something coming from the banking universe. Professor Imanchu, I wanted two specific figures from you. You know, if you've had a chance to look at that, what kind of increase do you think the finance minister may and should allocate for uh, the Narega scheme where there was overspending of course last year and they likely will be this year as well and secondly what kind of uh, outlay do you think she's going to put out for the dbt program the direct benefit transfer do you expect to see significant increases over there in the after the pandemic and I, but i think that has not been sufficient i mean most of the state governments ran out of the money by end of october or some of them ran out by end of november i think there is a huge pent up demand which is to be met and i think uh, narega would require some at least for the uh, at least for this particular year, so we will need that kind of money uh, going in the Narega. Uh, it has to go uh, beyond the 1 lakh crore which was already there, or at least be kept at that level. And I think the secondly, the DBT programs need to be stepped up. And it's, I mean, it's, I'm not just talking about the some kind of transfer which is coming from the PLT side, which is already there, but at least a lot of the social security pensions, for example, have not been revised since 2006. I mean, they are still uh, 200 rupees per month, which is what was being given in 2006. I mean, even if you take into account inflation, that comes to roughly around uh, 1000, close to 1000 rupees. Uh, but I think they need to be ramped up, and uh, there is uh, certainly a requirement to uh, increase those allocations uh, in all sorts of uh, social security provisions, at least for this particular year. And I hope that there is some increase in allocations to, uh, to most of the DBT programs as well as to another Okay, Nena and Professor Reddy, I'm going to thank you on that note. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, hopefully, we will get to speak later and discuss the budget in more detail. As I said, quite buoyant this morning for the equity markets as well, waiting by for the finance minister. But before we do that, uh, may I introduce Mr. Shogutu Gupta, who's MD and CEO at Marico, who joined in to talk with us. Thank you, Mr. Gupta, for taking time out and speaking with us. Uh, big one, you think, for boosting the consumption theme. What are you expecting to hear from the finance minister today? So I think see, it's a difficult budget, no wonder. But I think uh, they will try to do uh, whatever possible. And I think in the last one year, there has been a series of incremental steps that have been taken. <laughs> This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.